The following sermon was preached at Redeemer Church in Tumball, Texas. For more information, go to makingmuchofjesus.org. Amen. Happy New Year. Please take your Bibles and go to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1 is where we're going to be as we begin this new year. And I, I want us to consider, and I, I think this question and this where we're headed this morning is something that we should consider not just at the beginning of every new year, I, our beginning of every, on every Lord's Day. I think it's something we should consider about our lives every, every day, is, is how, how am I going to make much of Jesus? How will my life and what will I do in my life for 2015 and beyond, so go Buzz Lightyear on us, I mean, really an infinity. Like, we don't, we don't just need a 2015 plan. You need a 10 billion year plan. Everyone in this room is going to exist 10 billion years from now. That is significant about our lives. And the question will be whether or not we are in the presence of King Jesus in heaven, making much of him, or will we be under the wrath of God, still making much of him for eternity? For every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What we need to put before us today is how will my 2015 and how will my life make much of Jesus more than I did last year? It's very easy to look back over 2014 and have uh, guilt and go, man, I really messed this up. I really did this, or I, I could have done that better. I wasn't really about Christ. Look, to, we know 2014 is in the past, and this is what the gospel always brings to us, that his mercies are new every morning. We don't just get fresh starts. We, we get new life. We get new mercy. We get fresh grace upon grace. And so we need to look at this question from Philippians chapter 1, beginning in verse 20. Let's hear what the Spirit will teach us about making much of Jesus. Verse 20, Paul writes, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage and now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ." So that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. 
engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Let's pray. Lord, now, we know that you are among us for you tell us in your word and revelation that you walk among your churches. So, Lord, would you make your presence known to us? Would you do a supernatural work in all of us right now? We're all in different places, all on the spectrum with you. Lord, would you rend the heavens and visit us now? In your awesome name we pray, amen. This past Christmas, on, on Christmas morning, a nativity scene in Massachusetts was vandalized. It didn't show Joseph and Mary and the sheep around baby Jesus, but Jesus was stolen, and what was in the place of baby Jesus was a freshly decapitated pig's head. I was jarred when I first saw the story on CNN, which like some of you like, whoa, that's really offensive. And it is offensive. Instead of these brothers and sisters gathering for Christmas morning worship to see a visual reminder of their God and Savior wrapped in flesh, they saw an offensive mockery of the Lord of all. And I'm offended too, and I think we ought to be. And that, even though that's not my nativity set, it's my nativity. It's your nativity. It's my story, your story. And at the same time, I, I feel a sense of excitement about it too. I, I, feel, I feel a sense of camaraderie a sense of solidarity with a freshly decapitated pig's head in the place of baby Jesus, with our brother from the third century, Alexamenos. And an archaeological dig in 1857, there was an etching found on this cave dated back to the 200s of a man etched onto this cave. It was a man bowing down to a man crucified. But the crucified man didn't have a human head. He had the head of a donkey. And etched underneath was Alexa Manos worships his God. So you go from the third century to a donkey-headed crucified man to 2014 of a pig-headed nativity scene. And it's exciting. These things remind us that the real gospel cannot jive with the world system. If we are really going to follow the crucified and risen Christ, we will not just gel into the world and not be seen as freaks. What we do in here and what we do with our lives, if it is all about Jesus, it is bizarre. And we shouldn't outrage. As Peter tells the church that's being persecuted all throughout the Roman Empire, he says, do not be surprised at this fiery trial that is among you as though something strange is happening to you. So don't count it weird that a pig head got replaced in the stead of baby Jesus. He says, instead, when you are insulted for the name of Christ, you count it as a blessing because in that insult, the power of the Holy Spirit of glory is upon you. We get insulted. These things happen because our lives are so about Jesus that people see there is something weird about these people. Think about it. What we need in our lives right now is a clear picture of our radical, dead-raising, Jesus-centric gospel who has been given a name above every name. Sadly, I think that pig vandal might have a more accurate picture of Christianity than many churchgoers. You vandalize the nativity or you etch a donkey-headed man being crucified in a cave because you see what people are ascribing to Jesus and you think it's crazy. 
Just like in John 8, when Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am, saying two things. I existed before Abraham, and I am Yahweh, God himself. And John tells us that those who heard him picked up rocks to kill Jesus, for he was making himself out to be God. Those Jews who wanted to stone Jesus and that pig vandal, that graffiti artist in the third century are seeing what the Bible is saying about Jesus. And I wonder, are we seeing what they see? Do we see what they see? That pig vandal was not going through the motions Christmas season. I'm not giving hearty approval to a scoffer. I just wish that we saw the wild message of a crucified and risen carpenter from Galilee as something that drives us to do more than nod our heads during a sermon and drop money into a basket. I wish that we were all exhilarated by beholding the Lord of glory as though really to live is Christ. That's exactly what Paul is saying. For me, to live is Christ. If we are going to make any plans, any resolutions, any adjustments, anything we want to call them in 2015, we all must stare down our lives and say, you, this year, the rest of your life, make much of Jesus. That's verse 20. Look at verse 20. Paul says, but that with full courage, now, in the suffering that he's in, he says, now, even in the suffering, as always, this is what I always want, that Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So Paul's saying from bookshelf end to bookshelf end of my life, the whole span of my life, I'm a full courage. I want Christ to be honored. I want him to be magnified. I want him to be made much of. I want him to be seen as great by my life. This is no milk toast commitment to Christ. Paul's aim is that Christ will be honored. And is that the mission of your life? That the mission statement of your life, as you thought about 2015, as you're rolling into this new year, are you thinking, I want, all I want this year, more than anything, is that Christ will be honored. I mean, what do you want to do this year? As you thought, like, oh no, we all thought about these things. I want to lose weight. I want to pick up a new hobby. I want to finish that project of the house that I started in 2013. I mean, there's all kinds of other things that we think of. And those are fine, great. But guys, we live in a time where people are put into a metal tent and launched into outer space. And they orbit the moon and come back. Can we aim a little higher than just shedding a few pounds? We can do great things. We can do great eternal things. Things that are of eternal significance. Things that moth and rust and old age will not destroy. I think it's important that we try to be healthy and that we spend our money wisely and we do all these kinds of things. But I have never heard at a, a Christian funeral someone's six-pack be praised. The overarching vision of our lives must be that we make much of Jesus, that he would be seen as glorious because of how we live, that he would be seen as supreme because of how we live, that he would be seen as all-important, that he would be the exhilarating factor in us. To live is Christ. The very essence of my life is Christ himself. This is what Paul is saying. And I'll honor him in my life or by my death. We honor Christ in our death because he says to be with him is far better. So to live is Christ. And this doesn't mean you're not supposed to walk out of here and go, okay, now I'm going to make Jesus my number one priority. That's not how this operates. Jesus doesn't want to be the number one priority on your list. He wants the whole thing. He wants to be the center. He wants to be the 
base DNA of all that is in your life. Jesus is Lord of all. He is the center, he is the core, and he is the cause, and he is the reason for everything that we do. This is what it means when Jesus is Lord of all. One of my greatest concerns about living in the Bible Belt and living in Tomball, being a pastor in Tomball for five years now, is that so many people take their Christianity lightly. What Christians used to die for, now we just treat flippantly. What Christians are dying for now, we treat flippantly. There are Christians in North Korea who have gathered in the, in the basically the latrine, this kind of pit where all the fecal matter of their prison camp goes, and there they gather because the guards will not go there. It smells so bad. They, the Christians, go there and they sing hymns to Christ. We can treat making much of Jesus and Jesus himself so lightly as though being crucified with Christ was just some kind of brand you add to your life. Just something you add, another memory to your timeline. But Christ is more than that. He, he takes our entire lives captive and that is all to his service and now we are slaves to Christ. And I think, like with Paul, what we need in our lives is more risk-taking for the glory of Christ. And it's risk-taking faith. It's risk-taking from a human perspective. Like, I guess I'll try to evangelize this person. I'll, maybe I'll do this. It seems like a risk to us because we don't know how it's all going to work out. But it's risk-taking faith because we have faith in the one who works all things together for good for those who are called according to his purpose and those who love him. And look, our churches, we are not a big church in, in means of America or the Bible Belt. We are a big church in the scheme of the world. And so I'm way encouraged by our church in that 70 families, 70 giving units gave to our land fund to buy 10 acres in Tomball. It's awesome. And I'm way encouraged. And I'm excited about the years of ministry by God's grace that he'll allow us to have there. And this may sound crazy what I'm about to say, and I hope it does sound crazy. I'm also praying that many people will come to know Christ there and more people come to hear about Jesus. And I'm also praying that some people will leave our church. And not leave because they're angry or something happened, so they're going to go to another church. No, but, but leave in a divine call from God to go to the nations and to go around the globe and to go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded us because he is with us always to the end of the age and all authority and heaven and on earth has been given to him. And he said to us, go. This applies to everyone in the room that says, I'm a Christian. Those words to Jesus from us are for us right now. And so I pray that some of you will sell your stuff and just, just go. I'm, I'm, I'm going. I'm going to go make disciples. I'm going to go to this country. Or as we send Richard Hutto out, our first church planner, to Conroe, that some of you will say, I'm going to Conroe to help him plant King's Church. I'm going to be a part of our first church plan. I want to be a part of making much of Jesus in Conroe. There's no reason why I couldn't move to Conroe. I could do my job wherever. I'm, I'm going to Conroe. I think a church's seating capacity is cool and neat, and our culture celebrates that, but the Bible celebrates a sending capacity. And that's sacrificial. That's supernatural. That's significant. And this matters because we have to be a great commission church, or we're not a true church. We're not what could be a healthy church. And the Lord might remove his blessing from us. I think he does that from churches when they cease to be great commission churches. The Lord's at work in this world and he's calling all of us to be a part of it. I mean, listen, in India right now, an estimated 15,000 people are repenting and turning to Christ daily. 
they're all, you hear it on the news all the time, all these evangelical websites. Oh, the church in America is dying. The church is dying. No, yeah, the church in America is changing. It's going to have to. But the church is exploding all around the world. There are more Muslims that have renounced Islam and believed in Lord Jesus in the last 10 years than in the last 15 centuries. Believe that? More Muslims are coming to Christ in the last 10 years than they have in the past 15 centuries of Islam. And if you have had this glimmer in your heart, this, this dream, this spark in your heart that, I mean, I want to go to the nations. I, I feel like I need to go and make disciples of all nations. Go. I, I pray the Lord would take that spark and he would fan it into flame and you would take a risk-taking faith for him in the nations. I mean, right now, 80% of French people have never read, heard, held, or seen a Bible. 80% of French people have never held, seen a Bible. This is a first world country. Europeans who describe themselves as atheists and agnostic have risen by 400% in the last 20 years. More than 250,000 villages, towns, and cities in Europe have no evangelical church. In Italy, in Italy, there are 324 times more witches, psychics, and fortune tellers than there are evangelical missionaries. And I think the Lord wants to send someone, some family, from our church to the nations. And if we aren't careful, the American dream will drown out verse 22. Look at verse 22. If I'm to live in the flesh, so this applies to all of us. You're, we're all alive right now. Amen. Amen. Unless there's like a Weekend at Bernie's thing going on here, whatever. We're all alive. So what, is it, what does that mean for us? If, we are, if I'm to live, that means fruitful labor for me. You are alive for some kind of fruitful endeavor for the glory and fame of Christ. It means fruitful labor. So don't think, but I got to get married first. I need to have kids first. I need to do this or that first. No, none of that. You Think, what can I do for the glory of Christ right now? What are you calling me to, Lord? I mean, when, when I hear things like there are 324 times more witches, psychics, and fortune tellers than there are missionaries in Italy, I looked at Natalie and said, do we need to go to Italy? Is this something we need to really pray about and consider and go? And if you hear something like that and you hear me like, oh man, should I, should I pray about that? Is this something the Lord would want us to do? And you hear me say that and you think, no way am I going. No way. You were holding on to your life too tightly as though it were your own. You forget that your life is not your own, but that you've been bought with a price. So now you are to glorify God. We all must live with an open hand and a blank check on our lives. And it just saying, whatever you want, Lord. And really mean it. Like, whatever you want, Lord. This is exactly what Paul is doing here. But his are not, should I go to the nations or should I stay? His are, should I die and be with Jesus or keep preaching the gospel to the nations? These are his categories. Ours are, should I stay in my comfort or should I go to you know, China? His are, should I die or should I stay? Because dying would be great because I'll be with you, Jesus, unhindered. But if you want me to live and proclaim the gospel, I'll do it. And if we aren't careful, we'll even forget why Jesus died. If I were to ask some of you, uh, why did Jesus die? You, first, most of us would say, I hope, I want to forgive me my sins. And that's true. 
to deliver me from the wrath of God, to give me new life, to forgive all of my sins. He died in my place and rose again to forgive me. And all that is wonderfully and gloriously true. But what did Jesus say? Luke 24, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. So Jesus says, I died so that my name could be proclaimed among all nations. You and I are saved to spread his name. We are forgiven. We are cleansed. We are justified. We are given eternal life with him, but we are saved to spread his name. This is the great call on our lives if we are in Christ. If you want his salvation, you must also take with it the package deal, his sending of you to spread the fame of his name. So how will we do this in 2015? How will Christ be honored in my body in 2015? What fruitful labor will I do in 2015 for the glory of Christ? Maybe it's getting ready for the nations. Maybe it really is. We're going to start selling our stuff. We're going to go. We're going to find a missions agency. We're going to raise money. We're going. We're done. We're going to the world. See you. Or right now, what will you do? What risk can you take right now for the fame of Jesus? Who is the one person, just one, that you want to see come to faith in Jesus this year? Just, just one. What if we all had one person that we're all praying for, that we are all loving, that we are all engaging, that we are serving, that we are becoming friends to, and we want to see them come to know Christ? If you have more than one, great. But who will that one be? It's a tragedy that most Christians in America will die will never have seen someone coming to Christ. I, I don't want us to be a church for years and years that continues to be unevangelistic. And there's just no place for that. And finger-wagging and, and guilt, it's, it'll make you be like, okay, yeah, I should do it, but it won't last. The only thing that will make you become evangelistic is if you are exhilarated with Christ. If you are so in love with Jesus, you're so blown away by Jesus that you can't help but tell others about Jesus. And so that is the only way. I'm just praying and hoping that we will become a church that is just so enamored with Christ himself and what he offers to us. And you can do this in simple ways with people. 89% of Young people from 19 to 29 say they would be willing to sit down with another Christian and read the Bible together. I read a book by, called Evangelism by Max Stiles. He said, he said, most of the people I have led to Christ were by reading the Bible together. I remember when I led a Buddhist to Christ. We just read Ephesians 2. She started laughing halfway through. I said, why are you laughing? She said, I just became a Christian. Maybe you read the Bible together. Start a Bible study at work. Read mere Christianity with someone. Whatever. You figure it out. You take some risk to see someone come to faith in Christ. One of the most radical things you could do this year is to love your coworkers, to eat with them, to become friends with them, to get in their lives just like friends do, and then tell them about Jesus. So how will Christ be honored in your life? Will it be the big ways, missions and evangelism, or just the normal, ordinary, daily ways? Like committing for this year and for the rest of your life, I'm, I'm going to be committed to Sunday morning. Like, I'm actually going to show up to Sunday mornings. Listen, I know weekends are busy. I know kids get sick. Mine are sick today. My wife's with them. I, I know all that. I know the beach is awesome. I'm not even a sand person. I hate sand, but the beach is great. I get all that. But don't disobey Jesus and neglect the saints of the living God. Don't disobey Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. You will never find power and joy in disobedience to Christ. 
if the number of Sundays you missed is larger than the number of Sundays that you were here or at another church, you have discovered an area of your life where Christ is being dishonored. Being, guys, being committed to Sunday mornings is one of the most freaky, radical, and hell-tormenting things you can do. I mean, think about what we're doing here. Where else on the planet are people gathering to listen to a 2,000-year-old book? You're listening to a 2,000-year-old book, and on top of that, you're listening to some guy teach about it for 40 minutes. And then you're singing songs about blood. And you're singing songs to some guy who's a carpenter from the Middle East that we believe isn't dead anymore. We are doing something that is so wild, so crazy, and so weird to the outside world, but it is weirdly glorious. It is weirdly amazing, and it is bizarrely beautiful. You can honor Christ by being committed to gather to worship him with everyone else. You can honor Christ by committing to loving the people in your missional community, by commit to making it more than it was last year, to commit to really being in their lives. You can honor Christ by resolving to pray with your family this year, by resolving to pray with your wife, by, to pray with your kids when you put them to bed at night and teach them how to pray. You can honor Christ by just resolving to read your Bible. You can glorify the Lord of glory by opening up the book he has given you and say, Lord, I'm here to learn of you. I'm here to learn from you. I'm here to, I'm here to meet with you, and I'm here to worship you. Look at verse 23. Paul says, I'm hard-pressed between the two, death and life. Why? Because my desire is to depart and be with Christ. That's far better. So he's saying, I want to die and be with Jesus, for that is far better. I wonder if our lives are showing that it's better to be with Jesus. We can get, yes, when I die, I'll be with Jesus. But right now, we can be with Jesus. Right now, we can meet with Jesus. Right now, we can sacrifice time and sleep and, and Netflix, and we can meet with him in the word and in prayer. Do our lives show that it's great to be with Jesus, or is Jesus just all right with me? Where, where are you with Jesus right now? This might be the most important question you can ask yourself. Where are you right now in relation to Christ? Are you lukewarm? Or maybe you've never believed that he died for your sins and rose again from the dead. That he really is who the Bible says he is. Maybe you haven't believed those things. And you can believe him today, for today is the day of salvation. Living a life that is about taking risks to make much of him will mean more than doctrinally affirming him but practically enjoying him, but meeting with him. Soren Kierkegaard says the greatest thing that each person can do is to give himself utterly and unconditionally to God. Weaknesses, fears, and all. That we would be a people who, again, give ourselves to God, to live as Christ. I consider everything else as rubbish for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And when to live is Christ becomes our reality, risk-taking faith toward the nations, towards here, at work, in your family, it will be the overflow. Because when the glory of Jesus becomes essential to our lives, the joy of others is the outflow. Look what Paul says in verse 24. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So he's saying, I'm going to live for you, Philippians. Convinced of this, verse 25, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for what? For your progress 
and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. So here he is saying, this, this part just blew me away this week. He's saying, I am staying and I am viewing my life in relation to you and to your joy. I am here for your joy. This is no selfish resolution in Paul. And this is no arrogant resolution in Paul. It may seem arrogant to us for someone to say, I'm here for your joy. If, you know, someone would walk in with, I, I'm, I'm here to make you happy in Christ. You're like, look, I don't know who you think you are. That, that's not what this is. This is a servant-hearted thing to say. I want to live in such a way to increase your joy, Philippians, in Christ. Are we on this wavelength in 2015? I want to increase the joy of other Christians around me this year. This is what I'm after. This is my desire. So that in me, you have ample cause of glory in Christ. That I will help you in your progress and joy in the faith. And every single one of us can do this. If you are in Christ, if you are filled with the Holy Spirit of the living God, you can be a conduit to increasing someone else's joy. And you let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching one another psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody to the Lord in your hearts together. This is not just some apostle power he has. This is because to live is Christ. And when you are in a place that to live is Christ, you become in a place where you can help others to catch that spark that to live is Christ. You can do this if you're ready to sacrifice. If you're ready to reject the status quo of suburban life and Bible beltianity. And for Paul, this isn't some syrupy, gushy sentimentality that, yeah, I, I just, I want to help other Christians this year. No, 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 this is tangible, real. He's thinking about real people. The Philippian church. He has names, faces, people, in mind, families. I want to encourage you. I want to help your joy in the faith, in Christ. So we don't just say, yeah, I want to help other Christians this year. No, you get really specific. So you ask, what other Christians? What? Which other ones? Am I, do I want to help their joy in Jesus? Do I want to live for their joy in Christ this year? Well, the ones at Redeemer Church. And you get even more specific. Which, which ones then? The ones in my missional community. Then you give it more specific then. Which people, which, which guys or which girls in my missional community am I saying, I, I have my prayers, my time, my efforts, my sacrifice, my conversations. I want to see them have progress and joy in Jesus. And, and how? By pointing to Christ. Look at verse 26. So that in me, how's this gonna happen? You may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because... Am I coming to you again? Saying, I'm going to keep coming to you and I'm going to keep pointing you to Christ so that you have ample cause to glory in Christ. He wants to provide firewood for their fireplace of worship and enjoyment and boasting in Christ. That word, to glory. It's not doxa, the Greek word for glory that we other see in worship. This is the one for boast. That you would boast in Christ. You would brag on your Lord. That's why we sang that he's our only boast. We boast in, in him. And look at how Christ-centered and Jesus-centric the Christian life is. That our interaction should be. How joy really increases. So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ. It's only rooted in Christ. It's only coming from Christ. And Paul says, I'm just the conduit. I'm just the spark. So that in me, and, and however I'm interacting with you, that, that in me I may give you some, some reason, some spark, some some. Snap 
that you would begin to glory in Christ. And you see how this ties together? Paul has said in the beginning, for me to live is Christ. And now I want to live in such a way that you are given ample cause to glory in Christ. He is loving the Lord his God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength, and he's loving his neighbor as himself. For I desire, it is far better, I would much rather be with Jesus, but I'm going to love my neighbor as myself, and I'm going to remain for your joy and progress in the faith. For to me to live is Christ, and what I want for you to live is Christ. You know that you are making much of Jesus when you want others to make much of Jesus. You know to live as Christ is true for you when you want others to glory in Christ and give them ample reason. I just love that. The Holy Spirit added that word. He could have just written, it would be fine. The truth would still remain. So that in me, you will have cause to glory in Christ. But the, the gospel doesn't want to just create just a little bit of reasons. It gives us a plethora of them, a, a smorgasbord of reasons to glory in Christ. We have ample reasons to glory in King Jesus. We have reasons upon reasons to be in awe of Christ, to brag, to boast on him. Galatians 1, here, here, we have ample reason why he gave himself for our sins, to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We have ample cause to glory in Christ because he loves us and he has freed us from our sins by his blood. And made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen, Revelation 1. And we have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus, Jude chapter 1, just Jude 1, 24 and 25. He is able to keep you from stumbling. That is such an encouragement to the Christian. He is able to keep you from stumbling. The weakest Christian in the room, the strongest Christian in the room, it's almost in a sense irrelevant because it's all rooted in him. He is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority for all time and now forever. Amen. We have cause to glory, to boast, to enjoy Jesus. And I love that Paul's vision at the end of this passage for him is that I want to give you cause to glory. That is a vision for your life. I want to give people cause to glory in Christ. What do I want to do do with my life? All I want to do is to give people ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. Will our lives be a cause for people to glory in Christ? Will we be high wattage lights for Christ's amazingness? Will we be an unlimited bank of gospel truth for those around us? Will our Jesus-centric lives intrigue and inspire others to glory in Christ? Will our old-time religion of clinging to God's word ignite a passion for the word and glory of Christ? Take the risks. Step out in bold, crazy faith. Endure the scoffing. You can't endure till the end. Will you be a dunce for Christ's sake? 
May we be seen as a freak and a fool and a weirdo for the glory of Christ. Let's live to make much of Jesus and live for other people's joy in Jesus. And, and maybe so, if we do that, maybe a thousand years from now, people will look back at that freshly decapitated pig head nativity scene and they'll ask themselves, is our gospel so clear? Is our gospel so, what, what are they saying in there? Our lives so compelling, our lives so Jesus fixated, our lives so grace laden that someone vandalizes our nativity scenes. The people tell us to stop talking about Jesus. Maybe they'll ask themselves that in a thousand years. But let's ask ourselves that this year, today, and beyond. Christ be praised. Let's pray. For serving communion today, I, I invite you to come forward and band. You can come up as well. Before we transition to communion, why don't we pray and ask the Lord to create in us a sense of fixation on him. That to live as Christ wouldn't be just Bible jargon to us, but reality. That there would be an urgency about our lives for his glory. And maybe you wouldn't even need to confess that that doesn't interest you. Ask him to reignite your joy in him. Ask him to provide you the, the kindling and the tender to have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. And maybe even pray for that, that one person that you want so desperately to know Jesus this year. And ask the Holy Spirit to lead you, to guide you of how you can thoughtfully, non-arrogantly, but lovingly evangelize and love and serve. Lord, all we have is you. Who do we have in heaven but you? So Lord, now, would you bring about great change in us? An Acts 2 kind of change. The wind of your spirit come and move in our hearts. An Acts 4 kind of change where you create a boldness in us that evangelism runs rampant and that people will come to Christ because of the people in this room. That people would repent and turn from their sins and trust in Jesus because of the people in this room so that in them, they would have ample cause to glory in Christ. Lord, now, would you help us? It's in your holy and majestic name that we pray, amen.